0: Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Let's review. Let's talk about where we've been because today we're going to close out this series, Cliché. A cliché is a phrase or opinion that is overused and betrays a lack of original thought. I've told you that clichés often bring a weak resolution to a situation that has no logical explanation. And as Christians... We are the worst at offering our spiritual cliches. They just kind of roll off of our tongue, they just kind of come out. And so we offer these meaningless cliches from time to time. And and this month, we have looked at some Christian cliches that sound innocent but are theologically inadequate. The first week, we looked at the phrase, everything happens for a reason. The second week, we looked at the cliché, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Last week, we explored the phrase, when God closes one door, he opens another door. And we've had some fun with this series, quoting some well-known cliches together. And so this is our last time to do this together. And so I want you to join with me. If you know it, help me finish it. Here we go. You ready? Someone woke up on the wrong side of the bed. There it is. I I, I like this one. This This is one of my favorites. Ignorance is... Bliss, yes. The grass is always greener. And and here we go. You ready? And they all lived. Let's just pray and go home, right? That's a great one to end on, right? Today I want to look at a very popular cliche that many Christians use, and and I can hear my mamaw saying it now. If the Lord is willing, if the Lord is willing. Or maybe you shortened it. Maybe you grew up and it sounded something more like this, Lord willing. Or if you're from the country, maybe you heard it like this, if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise. (laughs) Which means if God and nature cooperate, it's going to happen. And this cliche has become a go-to phrase for many Christians. When you have the intentions to cooperate, to go with the plan, or to get it done, if the Lord is willing, it's often used as our disclaimer. Because it says, I want to, I'm planning on doing this, but ultimately God will determine whether I do or whether I don't. And it helps us admit that the outcome is not in our hands. That as great as the intentions may be, the fact remains that God is still in control. And throughout this series, church, I have been debunking and disqualifying Christian cliches that are not theologically adequate. But if there is ever an overused statement that bears repeating, it is if the Lord is willing. And so today, I'm just going to turn this ship. We're going to go in the other direction. And I'm going to say, use it. If that's a cliche that you like to use, keep on using it, and I'll show you why. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, James tells us these words. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Church, James helps us to realize that as believers, our steps are ordered by the Lord. If the Lord is willing, then events happen in our lives. But if God is not willing, then the way that we plan it might not come to pass. And then he makes this claim that, that anything else is ignorant. If you don't realize that it is whether or not the Lord wills or not, that those, that's the direction that you're going to go. If, if you say that it is within your own ability at all, he calls that arrogant. Growing up in Perry, Florida, we had a school rival in Swanee High School located in, in Live Oak. It didn't matter what sport it was, football, basketball, baseball, any of the sports, soccer. It it didn't matter. Our rival was Suwannee County and Live Oak. We did not like them. And when we would go to them, it was a hostile environment. When they would come to us, it was a hostile environment. Uh, uh, Taylor County, Suwannee County, we just did not get along. And I spent nine years in that school system, and I grew to dislike Live Oak, Suwannee County. For my junior and senior years of high school, my family moved to Lake City, Florida. And would you believe that my new high school in Lake City, Columbia County High School, the school that I would eventually graduate from, would you believe that their big rival was also Suwannee County, Live Oak? I moved from one school to another school an hour, hour and a half apart, and, and, and it was still a big rival. It was so much so a rival between Columbia High School and, and Suwannee High School that the first year that I was there, my junior year, one of the football players transferred for his senior year from Columbia to Swanee. And I remember a young man in my class that, that, that he looked at me and he said, my dad has offered to buy me a new truck if I break his leg during the game. That's how serious this was. I mean, and so we had this major dislike for Live Oak, for Swanee County, and, and the animosity between the two schools led me to make this statement, I will never live in Live Oak. When Mandy and I first got married, my job in the automotive parts industry um, required me to drive to Tampa right after we got married. This happened, and, and I started having to go to Tampa. We had a, a warehouse in Tampa, millions of dollars worth of parts in this warehouse, and our manager just just about had a nervous breakdown one day. Left his keys on his desk and just walked out. And the salesmen were calling us saying, "He's gone. He's AWOL. He's not coming back." And so the owner of the company asked me, newly married, said, would you go down there and help us get this warehouse straightened out? And so right after we were married, I started going down there three days a week, Monday through Wednesday. I come home late on Wednesday uh, because I, you know, I needed to be with my wife. You know, She wasn't even used to living just the two of us together, um, um, much less living alone. And so I knew that I needed to, to come home and, 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 and be there with Mandy. And so um, after a few months of doing this, the owner of the company calls me into his office, and he says, man, you're doing a great job with the, with the Tampa warehouse, and, uh, and, and I'm wondering if you will, will take that warehouse, if you'll relocate and take that warehouse. Now, the warehouse was on Florida Avenue in Tampa. If you know anything about Tampa, that is a, a, a bad side of town. I remember one night, the alarm goes off at like 1.30 in the morning, I get a call on my phone, and, and on my way there, I'm calling uh, the cops to meet me there. I want them to, to meet me there because there's a, there's a fence on Florida Avenue, and we had to unlock that fence, then drive back into the warehouse. The doors were on the back side of the warehouse. No telling who was there, who could get you, you know, that kind of stuff. You know. And so as I'm waiting on the cops to get there, prostitutes and drug dealers, 1.32 a.m. in the morning, are walking past the company truck that I'm in, and I won't roll down the windows. I mean, they're knocking on the windows, you know. You looking for a good time? You know, that kind of stuff. And I'm scared to death. I mean, I'm in my early 20s, and, and I'm scared to death. And, um, and, and I could see a light on underneath one of the doors in the warehouse, and, and the cop gets there, we go and we check it out. And, man, I'm just, I, I did not like living in Tampa. So he asked me, would you want to relocate to Tampa? Would you consider that? I'll make it worth your while. I'll make it worth your time. And I looked at him, and I said, I'll never live in Tampa. You need to find a manager, but I'm ready to be back in Lake City. I'll never live in Tampa. Two years later, God calls me into full time ministry. And would you believe the church that hired me was the Live Oak Church of God? (laughs) I'll never live in Live Oak, but I did. Years to the day later, I get this great opportunity to go to university church in Tampa. I'll never live in Tampa, but I did. And so I've learned to say, never say never. There's a cliche for you never say never. I will never live in Hawaii. You hear me? it's worth a try right (laughs) who can blame me if the Lord is willing your life may or may not end up like you imagined if the Lord is willing it may play out the way you think it will or it may not depending on how the Lord wills the point is God's will supersedes your will always. And the sooner that you figure that out, the better your life is going to be. I didn't say it's going to be easy, but at the moment that you realize that God's will supersedes your will, I promise you that, that you're going to enjoy it more. It may not be easy, but you will, will, will have this sense of knowing that you are in the shadow of the Most High. But in His grace and His mercy... He allows us to choose his will or to fight against his will. This past week, I heard Ravi Zacharias make one of the most profound statements about free will that I have ever heard. Immediately, I tweeted it, man. I, I, I don't want to forget this because he said, In life, you have two possibilities. The first one is this bend your knee to God, in other words, submit to God. Bend your knee to God and say, Your will be done. Or, don't bend your knee to God and He says, okay, your will be done. My will? His will? That scares the living daylights out of me. Obviously, the easiest path is to submit to His will and follow the path that He has planned for your life. But sometimes we are hard-headed. There are moments in life where Rocky McKinley is just hard-headed and I choose my will over his will. Or there are moments in life where you may choose your will over God's will. Webster's Dictionary describes a will as being inevitable. If it's a will, it will happen, it's inevitable. And our will is not really inevitable. It's more like a want. It's a desire. And when you choose to enforce your want, it does not mean that your way is going to come to fruition. It doesn't mean that it's going to come to pass. It just means that you are choosing your feeble plan over his inevitable will. We see this played out in the Old Testament in the life of Jonah. Jonah is a short book in the Old Testament it's in the latter third of, of your Old Testament. It's only four chapters long. And it would probably take many of you in the room a long time to find it. And so it's just going to be on the screen this morning. I'm going to be reading out of my Bible. And, um, but, but for those of you with smartphones, you'll get there a whole lot faster than everybody else. But, but for time's sake, let me go ahead and read this to you. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. To go to Nineveh to preach to the wicked and to bring them to repentance. And Jonah did not want any part of God's plan. We read this and we realize, Jonah, if you will just follow God's plan and go to Nineveh, why take off to Tarshish? Why? Why go that direction? You see, Nineveh was comparable in size to Gainesville. Scripture tells us there are about 120,000. I think Gainesville is a little bit larger than that, but about 120,000 inhabitants there in, in Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. There was a lot of activity that took place in this city. A lot of people passing through. So it kind of becomes more like a a tourist community. Some people, some scholars have said that this was the original sin city. That their wickedness, their corruption, their immorality puts them up there with, with, with places even beyond Vegas. That it was just a rough place to live. And this city offended Jonah. So he boarded a ship, took off to a city in the complete opposite direction. Because he probably thought that if if God changed Jonah's heart, if he changed his mind and, and, and he wanted to now go and preach repentance to the city, that if he was far enough away when God finally changed his mind, that maybe he wouldn't be able to get back within the time of repentance that God had allotted. If their grace period expired, God would have to destroy them, even if Jonah was on his way back. So he goes as far away as he possibly can, because he probably thought that the world would be better off without a city like Nineveh. We think of cities like that. There are certain cities that the crime rate is high. There are certain cities where immorality is high. And, and, and deep down, we just... We just know, man, the world is just a better place without a city like that. But the scripture says that God looked at that city. And every time God refers to it, he calls it a great city. God looks at what he saw as a great city. And the Bible says that he saw children, innocent children, and animals there. I think God included that just for you pet lovers. I really do. I think it's just for your sake. I don't think God really cared about the animals. but (laughs) He looked at the city and he saw innocent children and animals. And he says these words. He says there's people there. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. In other words, they don't know what they're doing. Kind of echoes the cross, doesn't it? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How can they repent if no one's ever told them to Repent. Jonah was distraught over what God was asking him to do. And so he gets on this boat and he begins sharing it with the sailors. And, and then the storm comes in and, and the seas get rough. And, 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 and finally they all get together and they decide it, it has to be because of Jonah. It, it has to be because he's disobeying God And they even explain to him, man, we don't want to throw you overboard. And Jonah finally says, it's your only chance for survival. I'm the one that's running from God. You might as well just throw me over. So he is ready to end his life. He hates the city of Nineveh so much that he's ready to die rather than go and preach repentance. They throw him overboard. And it's always interesting to me how God will go to the extremes To get your life back on track, you might have to lose your dream job just to get your destined job. You may have to look divorce in the face before you realize exactly what you're losing and what your your actions are costing you. You may have to spend a night in jail at 15 years old for underage drinking. Or three days in the belly of a whale to walk into your calling. And the Bible says that God caused a great fish to swallow Jonah up. And after three days and three nights, God caused the fish to vomit Jonah up onto dry land. Nothing says, listen to me, than being covered in whale vomit, right? (laughs) Everybody wants to listen to that guy. Here's a fun fact for you. Did you know that well vomit can actually be worth thousands upon thousands of dollars? There was this British man that was walking along the beach with his dog, and and he he came upon this this rock. And after exploring this rock and finding out more about it, he found out that the rock was actually worth something. It was well vomit, sperm well vomit. And the man sold it for $180,000 for a rock of well vomit. There's another Australian couple that, uh, that they also found a, 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 a good sized rock of well vomit. And, and when they cashed that in, $300,000. So on the first of every month while we're fasting, we're all going to go walk the beach together so we can pay off this new church that we're building, right? (laughs) You know, the question came to my mind when I was reading this. Who's buying it? Who wants well vomit? I mean, really? And here's what I found out. French perfume companies, they use it in the production of perfume. Not for the smell because it's pungent but for its ability to stick to human skin. Mm. It turns out that whale vomit is a fixative. And they use it to get their fragrance to stick to human skin. It's called ambergris. Now, you may feel like your life stinks right now. That you're covered in vomit answering a call that you do not want on your life, but in life, when you're in the will of God, it is invaluable, it is priceless, and eventually you come out smelling amazing. Don't look at your life right now covered in vomit and realize and, and think to yourself that this is the way it's always going to be. The will of God will take you through some tough times, but the promise of God is that you get to come out on the other side of that. Jonah went to Nineveh. He preached. The Bible says the people believed, they repented. All of them, 120,000 people, they believed, they repented. The children come to, to know God. The pets come to know God. There's dogs that are shouting. And all, And the city was saved. It's what the Bible says. And what seemed like this unpleasant, nearly impossible task, it turned out to be one of the easiest evangelistic movements ever. As a child of God, I have figured out that I have little to no control over my life. I used to think that I did. But I have come to realize that I have little to no control over my life. I, I can fight it if I like, but God's purpose is always better than my plans. Proverbs 19 and 21 tells us, You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. You can keep kicking against the goads. You can keep trying your hardest to make your will a reality. But at the moment that you realize it really is His will, that is the only plan that will ever prevail. When you finally realize that in life, that you realize that as a child of God, I have placed my life and the direction of my life in his hands, and he knows what to do with my life a whole lot better than what I like to do with my life. Because if he wills, then he'll move an 11th grader to Lake City. If he wills, then, then he'll move a young family to Live Oak. While they're expecting twins. If he wills, he'll move two kids that never grew up in a city larger than Lake City. He'll move them to Tampa. To groom them and to train them. And and to use them for his glory. If, If he wills, then he'll take them out of that big city. And he will put them right in the middle of a small watermelon town called Newberry. If he wills, then I will move to Hawaii. If he wills, I'm just saying. Paul left Ephesus in in Acts 18 and 21, he said it like this, I will come back if it is God's will. In 1 Corinthians 4 and 19, he said, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. In Hebrews 6 and 3, the writer said, and this we will do if God permits, if God wills. Even when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit that He has empowered the church with, 1 Corinthians 12 and 11 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Philippians 2 and 19, Paul said, If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to to you soon for a visit. Jesus taught his disciples to pray like this in Matthew 6 and 10 your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and then he lived as an example when he prayed in Luke 22 and 42 and he said father if you are willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done church here's how we end this you ready I believe that this one phrase, this one Christian cliche, if you will, it helps make sense of all the other Christian cliches that we often say. Everything happens for a reason, if the Lord wills. God doesn't give us more than we can handle, if he wills. When God closes one door, he opens another door, if he wills. And I've just come to this understanding that life is unpredictable and it is often unsettling. But one thing that I know for certain is that I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow And there's a cliché to end this series on. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.